0: Welcome to The Craft. I'm your host, Mae Globus. This podcast is a collection of intimate conversations on artistry, mastery, and life with talented, passionately curious creatives and entrepreneurs. Most are dear friends, some are those I've admired from afar. I hope you enjoy these conversations, this exploration of the humanity that connects all of us as much as I do having them. Thank you for being here and for listening. There's a natural elegance and sparkle to Daniel Barrage. The former event planner and now a sensory strategist has worked with brands like Nike, Monique Lullier, Bioderma, Nespresso, and Veuve Clicquot on delivering experiences around the five senses. Born in Toronto, Danielle came from a close-knit hockey family and two parents with strong independent streaks. An artistic child and teen, she was also balanced out with a love for sports playing competitively. After high school, she went down the path of fashion and event planning, eventually working to create experiences in the luxury wedding industry. A major life change a few years ago brought her a new chapter in Paris, a place she always felt drawn to. In this conversation, we examine her tight relationship with her parents and what she learned from both of them. Her childhood balancing art and sports, the long journey to Paris, what a sensory strategist does and how she works with brands, the world of fragrance, how people can enhance their five senses, the way our senses play into future technology and the metaverse, and more. Please enjoy this invigorating conversation with the wonderfully eloquent and warm Danielle Berich. Danielle Berich. Welcome to the Craft. Thank you. I'm so excited to be
1: here today and chat. Yes, me too. Me too. How are things in Toronto right now? Really, really cold today. So I will not be leaving the house <laughs> anymore. It is an Uber Eats day. Oh yeah, is it frigid? <laughs> is it snowing or is it just really cold? Just a cold warning. Like mm. face prickling kind of cold. Not yeah. a nice sensory experience. <laughs> <laughs> and you you know these things. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
0: Uh well I always love to connect the dots on how I met a met someone and I feel like our connection is quite magical um because uh you are actually you were or will be um renting my friend Jackie Kai Ellis's apartment in Paris and she was actually on season 1 of The Craft and so there's this yeah. beautiful just mingling and colliding of worlds
1: yeah, so I actually lived in Jackie's oh, yes, apartment in Jackie's. for the first uh, the first eight months that I moved to Paris. In, so I moved in August 2020 and I moved out of her place in April when I found a new apartment. Um, it was supposed to be just a few months while she was still in Canada. And then with the pandemic, you know, everything got extended and people were stuck in different countries. But it was very... Surreal and this very manifested connection. I'd met her almost a year before, and she was helping me decorate a different apartment. I was supposed to move in April, and then, of course, the pandemic hit, and we just happened to be Instagramming asking, You know, when are you going? When are you going? Through as restrictions were lifting, and she mentioned, You know, I'm actually not going to go back for six months, I'm looking for someone to stay in my apartment. Um, And I said, well, I actually don't have an apartment anymore, because I had to let mine go. And it just was this perfect connection for us where she got to have someone she knew look after her place. And I had this beautiful space to stay in. Mm. And our stories were just so connected with, you know, her creating that home as a place to heal, and really hold her through a lot of changes in her life. And I had just was, was still going through a new divorce. And it was kind of this same feeling and place for me. And I know she was really honored and excited that I got to experience what she designed the place to give someone. Um, And so it was kind of like passing this torch Mm. of this cocoon, this safe place for me to experience until I was healed. And I think that's kind of when I transitioned out, as I remember saying to Jackie, your home gave me everything I needed. Um, through a huge transition emotionally and also physically to a new, a new city, a new country, but I'm ready to, to, you know, step out of my cocoon into my little butterfly and, and, and go off into my world in Paris. So it was so perfect. Oh, how
0: beautiful. I love that story. Well, let's go back in time. Let's go back to your childhood. Tell me about being born and raised in Toronto and what your childhood was like. Yeah,
1: oh, that was a long time ago now. <laughs> uh, I I was born and born in Toronto, but raised just outside the city in the suburbs. I would say that my family is a little bit of that typical nuclear family. <laughs> my dad's an engineer. My mom's a pediatric nurse. And I'm the oldest of three, so I have two younger brothers who are close in age to myself. And I was really, really privileged and lucky at the childhood I had. My family was very close. We did a lot together, but I also looked up to two parents who had passions and careers and lives outside of just being mom and dad. Mm. So seeing these two individuals as well as mom and dad was just a really great experience growing up. And especially seeing my mom love what she did so much. And we spent a lot of time having fun, going on adventures. My brothers and I were very close, but we were mostly, I mean, a hockey family, which is very typical Canadian (laughs) for a while. And I kind of felt like, I think the, the, Odd one out sometimes because I always was into the arts and singing and um, painting. I took art classes, I was in choirs, and I didn't really play a lot of sports until finally my parents said, Okay, fitness is really important. We love that you're creative, but you need to choose an activity, whatever you want it to be, but you need to stay active as a child. Mm -hmm. And so I chose hockey. Wow. And yeah. So that was a really great experience. I learned so much about teamwork. I played both on some boys' teams. I was, I think, 13 and played with girls. And my dad was my assistant coach. And those were some really amazing years. And eventually left hockey for the complete opposite sport, which was um, sprint canoe kayak. And I did that extremely competitively. Um, but while I was also in art school and went to an mm. arts high school, um, so I always you're had well-rounded. Feet. <laughs> yeah. Maybe my parents designed it that way, but, um, that's, I would say that was my childhood is, is very well-rounded. Yeah.
0: I loved, I love what you were saying about, uh, your mom and dad and each of them, you know, witnessing, witnessing them being individuals as well. So I'd love to know about your mom and dad individually what were they like? What were their passions?
1: Yeah, my dad, I always say his love language is food. He loves taking care of people through food. When I come home, even now it's, oh, I got your favorite ice creams in the freezer and this is there for you. And what do you guys want for dinner? And that's, that's my dad. So very generous and very family oriented, athletic, extremely disciplined. He got into hot yoga Twenty years ago, and does it three mornings a week, six thirty in the morning. No ifs, ands, or buts. Mm. And every day in between, goes for a bike ride at six a.m. And so he is very disciplined and works really hard to support his family. I don't think he was always one. He turned to my mom and said, "If you ever want to be the breadwinner, I'm totally fine with that." Like he was a really, I think, healthy, masculine image Mm. of one my parents had extremely equal gender roles if anything my dad did most of the cooking in our family and he was super supportive of my mom but and he worked because he loved his job but also to give his kids so much mm. i don't think he was the type who you know work work wasn't work it was a, so much of a passion i think for him it was still something you had to do mm. um and then my mom, my mom, I always say, was put on this earth to be a mom because she couldn't wait to be a mother. But she also went into pediatric nursing and works at SickKids mm. and spends, has spent her life. She's retiring this year after 37 years. Wow. Yeah. So and- very nurturing soul yeah, kids love her and she loves what she does. She's always needed her own identity outside of being a mom, even though being a mom was a huge goal in her life. And yeah, she is super warm, really sweet, funny, Mm. um, spunky, very competitive (laughs) in sports. She was a, a nationally ranked squash player when she was a teenager. And so she can, she turns into a very different person when she's on a, <laughs> on a squash court. Um, but so nurturing. And, and her and I are very, very close. And mm. we spend a lot of time together when I'm home going for coffees that could go for four hours, and we'll never run out of things to talk about. Mm.
0: I wonder, you know, it, it's so wonderful that she was a pedi- pediatric nurse. And I, w- I wonder if it was also really hard too, uh, to, to see children who are sick and may not have you know, as long of a a life as, as, as others, I think that takes a a really brave soul to do that kind of work too.
1: Yeah. I think, I think she's learning now some of the toll, maybe some of the things she's seen has taken on her. I was always really surprised because my mom is, is quite an emotional person as am I. And I think that's such a gift that she didn't come home more often upset with mm. stories, sometimes, of course, and she had really strong bonds with quite a few of the kids over the years. But my mom, I think, has a really great outlook on death mm. and not taking away the pain of it or the grief of losing any of the kids she's taken care of or what these families go through. But my mom has never feared death And maybe that's because of it. And she looks at the celebration of life and just how can we make these families' lives better. And I think that's why she also loved the hospital she worked at so much as they just had so many programs and fun things that were donated or famous people coming in to see the kids to just Mm -hmm. really elevate an experience when your child's in the hospital all the time. Right. So- Yeah, I think she worried about us a little bit more sometimes because she saw what could happen. Mm. But at the same time, we were always the kids sent to school when we maybe shouldn't have been and we were too sick and she would be, you're fine. (laughs) You can go and we'd be calling dad midway through the day. Dad, mom sent us to school again. We threw up. Can you come pick us up? And, you know, because almost the other way sometimes where, you know, I've seen the worst. You're fine. Yes. Yes. Go to school. Exactly. Yes. Yes.
0: Oh, that's so wonderful to hear about your parents. They seem like they seem like really lovely people.
1: Yeah. And they actually just bought a home in Nanaimo. So they are retiring that's out right. to BC and taking a big adventure, um, which they've never done before. So I'm really excited for them.
0: Yes. And you get to come out to the west a little bit more.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm really looking forward to being near the ocean and the nature and yes. also have so many friends out west. So I'll get a chance to. To connect with some more people out there when I come back to Canada yes and
0: all the sensory experiences you'll have in the PNW forests
1: yeah <laughs> which we'll I get so into why heard. I said that
0: yeah <laughs> but yeah <laughs> uh so I'd love to uh, fast forward a little bit to your teenage years and you know it sounds like you were heavy in, into sports and then also how you transitioned into becoming an event planner after school
1: yeah so I was really competitive in sports outside of school, but I actually went to an arts high school. So, you know, think of fame or step up. Mm-hmm. It kind of looked like that. <laughs> and I actually went for vocal music. I loved to sing. And through that school, there was also a fashion class that one of the teachers ran. And I loved fashion, always had. So started learning to sew and to make my own dresses And some of the students would organize this fashion show and students could put their own work in it. And so a friend of mine did a little collection that was just kind of thrown together of odds and ends one year. And then the next two years I took over planning it and did some collections for it. And that's really one where I realized fashion was something I really wanted to pursue, but also oh, I'm really good at this event management thing and maybe I'll plan fashion shows or something for a living. I think the Hills or the city, that show was on at the time and that's what Whitney Port did and I thought her job sounded so cool that you got (laughs) to plan fashion shows for designers. Um, But I'd I'd also got a job just before I left high school working, selling high-end wedding gowns. Mm. And... So that was kind of now this other angle that I was exposed to was the luxury wedding industry and, you know, designers there, but also these events and what people spent on weddings and how much work it was. And so I was accepted to fashion communication school at Ryerson University and through that program had the opportunity to take more event planning classes and was still working in weddings and realized I love this creativity of the wedding industry and I love that it means so much to two people and I love planning events and I love this fashion aesthetic. I'm going to combine them and go into this field as a living. And so through the last half of my degree, I focused all of my extracurricular. I interned with a florist. I interned with my event planning professors, just trying to stack my resume essentially. Mm -hmm. (laughs) For when I graduated and when I graduated, I got a job with a luxury wedding planner um, named Melissa Andre and started planning really high-end weddings here in Toronto um, then. Mm.
0: And then tell me the story of what brought you to Paris. I know it's a it's a long long one, but um, it seems like you've you, you'd always wanted to be there
1: mm-hmm.
0: and it happened but it probably didn't happen the way you thought, but you made it there.
1: Yeah. I think of Paris as my soul contract because I cannot explain why it's this very deep, deep rooted desire. There's a word for it. I can't remember what it is, but it it's described as a nostalgia or a homesickness for a place you've never been.
0: And Well, perhaps you've had a past life there if you believe in it.
1: Yeah. And I think I must have because that's how I can describe it is a homesickness for somewhere I'd never been before. Mm. And it took me till I was 23 to finally go and take a month off and just see what this place was all about. Was this actually a dream or just, you know, something I needed to check off a list. And I really fell in love with it even more, wanted to move. But it just the work. My life didn't line up that way. I came back after a month, kept thinking I would go, and then life moved on. Here, I built my own wedding planning company. I met uh, my ex-husband, fell in love, and thought, okay, life is is going to stay in Toronto. That's still pretty great. Um, but it kind of, it was always a regret, honestly, over the years that I didn't try, that I didn't move and take an adventure. And so when my marriage ended in 2019, very lovingly and amicably, it was my kind of universal sign, I guess, saying, here's your second chance, go do that before you regret it again, and you meet someone new in Toronto or life moves on. And so Mm. that was this very strong kick in the butt of go there, see what you think, move, cross this off your life experiences, or realize it's the place you're meant to live the rest of your life.
0: Mm -hmm. If you're going to describe Paris as a personality, how would you describe it?
1: Hmm. I think a very passionate person, and but passionate in an understated way. It's not a loud passion. It's a soul passion that you can feel from someone. And it's so obviously inspiring, I think. It's very joyful, and it's just this warmth, um, yet invigorating person or feeling personality. It's so hard to describe because I think there's also so many elements of it, depending on how you want to look, but I think I see it as an understated passion is how mm. I would describe it. Uh, I think a lot of people see it for what Emily in Paris shows, which is you know a, a beautiful angle and fantasy and and something light but that's like such a tiny tiny part of it and what I actually love is the corners you don't see on postcards and the reality of people's lives and the less perfect elements and croissants and those things I think it's Mm. all the things that you don't see that are actually the most beautiful right right
0: it's a very layered place yeah (laughs) yeah well, I feel like you and I connect so well, um, because aside from this podcast, I'm, I'm also a certified sound therapist. So the idea of the five senses and how they all interact are, are really fascinating. And you're a sensory strategist, which is, I was so interested in learning about um,
1: what a sensory strategist does. How do you work with clients? So a sensory strategist is someone who is an expert in the five senses and uses that to create a plan, process, implementation, execution for brands or people to elevate life through those senses and connect to those in a much deeper way. So I specifically work with brands, though I've coached uh, clients of mine individually as well of ways that they can ground themselves through sensory work. But my career focus is in helping brands elevate through adding in a sensory experience. So it works a lot like a brand strategist looking at what their mission is, who they are, asking why, like a toddler, I always say, or it's in this book I've read called Obsessed. And she talks about asking, you know, why do you do that? Well, why? Why does someone want this? And really getting into the core of who your brand is, that personality, that identity, and what you're providing people truly. You're not just providing them mm-hmm. a nice purse. What are you actually giving the person who's buying you that is buying this from you? And then yes. connecting and they really take that memory away. Yeah. And then for all, from all the research I've done, adding in a five sensory experience. So something you can taste and touch and hear all these different things to a consumer experience, just elevates that loyalty, that brand awareness um, and a lot of nostalgia. So your brand almost becomes implemented in the emotions of your consumer. And what I saw was this world becoming more and more digital and with brands just being so, it's such a saturated place because the barrier to entry as an entrepreneur now is so little, which is amazing, but also means that there's so many more. And so how mm. do you stand out? How do you make you know your handbag be purchased? How do you make someone book you as a wedding planner? All these different things. And that's what I believe is missing is we've kind of forgotten about all these other senses other than how our Instagram feed looks.
0: Right, right. Yeah. And I mean, you, you've worked with some incredible clients. You've worked with Nike, Monique Lullier, uh, Bioderma, Nespresso, Veuve Clicquot. Um, I really like how you also say on your site, too, that your approach is really rooted in science, which I think is is really really important for people to understand that kind of foundation and basis. and I, I know in our chat the other day we were just we were talking about fragrance and molecular structures. and so yeah, I'm, I'm curious you've have you always been interested
1: in science too, the science of things as well as the art of things? I think I'm someone who just likes to understand things thoroughly before I open my mouth, or if I'm, or if I start becoming interested in something, I want to know why, why is that? Where is that rooted? I don't just want to know the surface, which I think is a little bit of sometimes the problem in the world right now is we just see a lot on the surface and forget that it's our responsibility to do the research and dive deeper. Um, you know, you might see a carousel on, on Instagram. It's really interesting, but go do that research yourself. And so mm. as I was starting to see the tip of the iceberg, I could not stop with, oh, scent helps brands sell more products. Well, why? Is that just someone saying that? Where does that research come from? So then I started diving more into books and articles um, and using a lot of the lessons I learned in university of you know doing proper research to find the answers. And I still am finding those answers. Uh, but science was definitely not an interest of mine when I was in high school, university. I think it's more of this innate curiosity less of an interest in science per se.
0: Mm, Yeah. Yeah. And I've, you know, I've really, I've always loved fragrances. I was reflecting on this, uh, you know, yesterday and I I have very distinct fragrance chapters in my life. When I was a teen, do you remember when Gap had their scents like grass, dream, heaven? And then I went into this sort of Dior addict, Gucci rush phase, and then I went kind of, sort of tropical with Sud Contour Pacific, and now I'm more into like quote unquote natural perfumes like Lolabo or um, Maison Louis Marie. Um, but I think it's just so interesting that I can I can actually bookmark my life in fragrance. And I know you have a lot of experience in fragrance.
1: Yeah, fragrance is something that I've really do- dove into because there's so much behind it. You know, we have. We've 24, we breathe 24,000 times a day. And every single time you're smelling, it's you, you, it's a sense you need to survive and it's probably the most direct sense. So it's the sense that's the most direct, directly connected to our brains. So it affects us a lot. And it's also directly uh, related to our limbic system, which is where we hold emotion and memories. So we're so strongly Mm. impacted by scent and there's so much that goes into it. And scent has become this huge industry from, you know, Tide Pods, your laundry detergent to what you clean your home in. And a lot of that has been determined from trends or different societal and cultural trends of why, do, why does citrus smell clean? You know, it doesn't actually mean that something's clean. We added that in because it gave people a satisfaction of, okay, good, I've cleaned this. Uh, And Mm -hmm. so there's so much to dive into, but even, you know, perfumes and fragrances, it's such an art. And Guerlain was one of the first uh, to use uh, aldehydes, um, uh, which are an organic molecule category that adds to perfumes to make them last longer. And a lot of people have have different opinions on them. But, you know, Guerlain was making these complex fragrances in the 1890s. And you would go into their store and you would they would not allow you to leave until you'd sat for 15 minutes with the fragrance on your skin to actually see all the notes release and understand it on your skin and the temperature, all of that. Now we spray things on little pieces of paper and walk out of Sephora with like six of them shoved in our purse you know, to see what we might like later. So it's also changed as consumers how much we really think about scent And I think it's something I'd love to see people go back a bit and really take their time Mm. because there's so many different notes. There's so much complexity and noses who are perfumers or experts at various companies and brands, they really treat it like an art. It's a science, but it's also an art of how they're going to layer this with that and a rose with a citrus and finding these scents that you haven't even heard of or thought even smelled like anything. And so I think mm-hmm. that's always a place I love brands to explore, because it is such a strong connection to the human brain. is also such a fun area to play with, and there's such a variety of products and ways that you can integrate it into your brand experience.
0: Mm. I'm curious to know in um, any of your research if you've you've come across this, but why? Why are we as individuals um, drawn to certain smells? Is it because of nostalgia or is it because of our biochemistry?
1: A bit of both. It depends. So a lot of it's also small uh, emotional connections. For example, vanilla tends to be a very maternal smell. I don't think that's Mm. because women only wore vanilla for years. I think it's just the way it connects with our bodies is this warmth and this very sweetness. And it's a very safe smell. Mm. So that's something that actually perfumers, if you say, you know, my brand has a very motherly quality or feminine quality or nurturing quality, there often will be a a note of vanilla put in because it's a very subconscious connection to us to like a mom's hug. Mm. Um, others are very, uh, sex drive driven and hormones others have been acquired over time through society telling you that smells nice and the different trends so I think it it's really a combination of everything right right yeah and I was thinking too um just about the
0: interconnectivity of, of senses like you know when you lose your sense of smell you also lose your sense of taste
1: mm-hmm. yeah.
0: so it's it's we're yeah it just reminds me how interconnected not, only are we to each other, but just internally, like our bodies to the world.
1: Yeah. Well, most flavors you taste is actually smelling it. Uh, you can really, mm-hmm. the taste receptors on your tongue can really only taste it. It gets uh, sour, sweet, bitter. Uh, and there's another one in there. And then the rest is all filled in with smell, mm. which is so connected to your throat. It's why, you know, you can almost like taste things, you smell sometimes and vice versa, Mm -hmm. you know, or you've drinking something too fast, it comes out your nose. (sighs) They're so connected for a reason. And it's, it's part of our flavor. Mm. But what's so interesting with smell versus taste is smells the most direct of the senses to the brain, but taste is the most intimate. And it's very dangerous if you think about it, because to taste something, you have to ingest it, you have to put it in your mouth. So as humans, like we're kind of you know, biologically taking risks every time we're testing things. And because we were designed as omnivores, that's actually what is, you know, we were designed to have a very complex palate because we could eat everything. Mm. And so it was trying all these different ways to get our nutrients, but in order to figure out if something was poisonous or not, you combined both your sense of smell, you know, is this disease, is this rotting? Mm. What does this smell like? And also your sense of taste uh, to understand nutrients and to continue expanding your palate, so that humans could live in so many areas on this planet that are not all the same.
0: Right, right. So your senses as as this survival toolkit. Yeah. Mm, mm-hmm. So so cool. Uh, I was ref- I was very very curious about your creative process. So when you start working with a brand. How do you start thinking? How does your brain start turning?
1: For me, I like to almost go into this kind of like slicing and dicing. So one, I love to have a great brainstorm with the client. I'm not a fan of questionnaires or filling out things with a client because you miss so much of the undertone, the body language, the little stories and anecdotes that come out of why they do what they do, which is often where you find the like golden nuggets of information about that brand is something they're telling you that they didn't think was important. So I love to have a really great brainstorm and just listen and absorb, ask a lot of questions, also see where their passion is about what they do. I love to test the product, get an idea of the whole consumer journey. So, you know, ordering the product online, having it shipped to me, uh, testing all their, having them send me a variety so I can really see what the consumer is experiencing and then also have them treat me like a client after purchase. So what would you usually send your client? Mm. All those things. And once I kind of have that framework, I also love, depending on the size of the company, uh, meeting with their employees, asking their perspectives, looking at uh, what consumers have been saying, whether in reviews, social media, if I can have a chance to ask some of their consumers or clients, then I like to try and do that to get a really good understanding of where does the brand think they are and where are they actually in terms of consumer perception? Mm. And then what is my perception from a third kind of external point. yes. And from there, it's really diving underneath each layer. So is asking those questions of why? Why? Go deeper. Why? And really understanding what the human connection or signal, like why is someone consuming this product? Why are clients either not or really enjoying this brand? And it often will come down to status, signal, and identity. Mm. Pretty much that's what you know, every consumer purchase is based on is us trying to express who we are, and that by attaching ourselves to brands or buying certain products, we are expressing that in small ways because we identify with that brand's values. So we're kind of saying, "I believe in that stuff too," because I carry this purse, and they believe in that, so I'm telling you that I believe in the same things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's also this very, very base consumer logic. No matter what you're talking about, and it's either to avoid dying or to make life the best it can be before I die mm. is like the most primitive base of, you know, why a consumer buys anything. And so I really try to understand what that is for that specific brand. And then with that, it's creating a more expanded brand profile. So their words, their feelings, their mission statement, who are their client archetypes? Uh, what colors do we associate with the brand based on the words and the feelings? And then I assign each sensory element to those words. Mm. So I think, okay, if a brand's words are, you know, warmth and energy um, and nostalgia or just making three up, I would take those and look at scent, for example, and pull from different scent samples. So I have uh, over a hundred vials at home and we'll start pulling them out and thinking, what is that connection? I go into more research of, what are some psychological connections we have to certain scents that would evoke those feelings as well through a scent and i do that through each of the five senses and create a sensory profile mm. for that brand and then from there it gets expanded so that's where i start looking at their consumer journey and suggesting here's where i think you can take these elements and inject them into your consumer experience whether it's packaging or you know onboarding and checkout in-store experiences, hotel and hospitality brands I work with vary so much. And I suggest ways they can do that. And then if they love those, um, creative ideas, then I can take them on and execute them for my clients with my team of experts in fragrance and music and sound production and, and all the different senses.
0: Mm -hmm. You're talking about, um, the why of things and getting to the why, the why, the why, and all those layers underneath, um, why do you love this work so much? Like, what about it inv- invigorates you? Like, what's your why around why you've moved into this space?
1: I think for me, there isn't really a point of living if there isn't beauty around me all the time. And not just visually, but in, in every way. I just find that I life feels richer when my senses are being stimulated in that way. And every time I try and veer into a career or a passion that is not centered around this full sensory work, I'm really unaligned and Mm -hmm. unfulfilled, and I keep being drawn back to this space. And for me, it's also a huge grounding tool, personally, that I can get, I think like all of us, we get so in our heads about, I should be doing this, should I do this, you know, should I be buying a house right now? Or what should I do my career next? Or where am I going to be in 10 years? And all these questions we can ask ourselves. And when I can be present to me, that's what a sensory experience is, is being present in your body mm. and what your body has been designed to, to do and to live through. Um, because our bodies, unfortunately, and fortunately have been designed that through um, tedious or repetitiveness, we, we can blank. You know, you don't notice your sweater is touching you all day because it touches you all the time. Unless it's itchy and uncomfortable, you're not thinking all day, my sweater's touching me, my sweater's touching me, my sweater's Mm. touching me. You just go through the day wearing clothes, just like you get in your car and you drive to work and you don't think of what it smells like. Right. Or you drink a glass of wine with your friend and you didn't take the time to think of what notes are in this. You're just like, great wine. It's been a hard week. (laughs) I'm going to drink this. Yeah. And it's those moments when we've actually taken that time to be more present with each of those senses that I think we can all remember are actually our most happy, more present, joyful moments in our
0: lives. Mm. Do you have any um, advice for um, someone who wants to enhance all five of their senses? Like, what are the things that they can do to make those five senses stronger and work Together.
1: Yeah. Well, first I always say is to go to your journal. I always like to ask everyone to think of moments in your life, recent and past that have brought you the most joy. You've been the most happy. Maybe it was on vacation. Maybe it was a movie night with your partner, whatever it was, however many they are. And to really almost write down the ingredients of that memory, both through the five senses and otherwise. So what was part of it? If you dice, if you're almost standing outside your body and you're watching that memory happen, what's in the room, what's happening? Are you guys touching? Is this person kissing you or are you alone, but you have a cozy blanket? What was, what made that moment so great? And to kind of take that inventory and then look for patterns Mm. to really find out what is bringing you joy, because we don't think about it until we actually reflect and then from there i recommend for everyone to go on a scent journey i think we've all worn perfumes that we've chosen very quickly or we've just worn forever and i think it's a really great exercise to go and spend a lot of time going to every store take your time trying them on come back another day or take samples home and really start analyzing like what it is that makes you feel a certain way when you wear it and have fun with that mm-hmm. And overall, I think it's practice. So it's almost a meditation of one day, one time a day, at least sit and just analyze what can you hear? What are you looking at? How many colors of brown are in that wood in front of you? Uh, You know, what can you smell and how far can you smell Mm. if you, you know, um, if you're tasting something, what are all the different flavors that are within that? Can you name them? Almost like doing a wine tasting. Mm. Um, You know, almost have it like writing it down. And that can be a fun evening with a friend is instead of just with wine, do it with your food or do it with any sense of have a little notebook and say, okay, like, what can you see right now? What can you taste? Name all the different notes you can maybe taste. There's no wrong answer. Mm. Um, And I think those are great way to practice. And as you practice more, The more you'll start tuning into it automatically throughout your day. And probably more you'll start adjusting the way you live your life to have a lot more of those moments that are very obvious in it. Mm.
0: Yeah. I was uh, listening to a podcast. I think it was Dr. Andrew Huberman. And uh, it was around um, focus and and vision. And he was saying that, you know, um, take time out of your day to really expand your vision. So, like, don't just look forward, but see if you can also see out of the periphery. And that just really expands your your vision and also um, really wakes up your brain. And I thought that was so, so fascinating. And I've tried it a number of times. And I do feel a lot more alive the more that I, um, yeah, like pay attention to not just what's in front of me, but around me, even though we don't have eyes on the side of our head. But you can expand
1: that periphery a little bit. Yeah just opens up the world a little bit more. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's they're all exercises. and they're muscles that we forget to use because we take them for granted because they just, well, for the many privileged of us, they just work. Mm. Um, and I think that's where, you know, I love the exercise when you're a kid and you'd lie down and you look at the clouds and you try and find animals. I think that's one of those really great sensory exercises. And whether it's staring at a tree and counting the leaves or seeing if you can see bugs on the leaves or the veins or how many colors of green or red or orange or whatever the leaves are, I think is a version of that. And I think what this doctor said too is an extension of, you know, practice seeing.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Do you have a favorite sensory experience from when you're young that really stands out? I think in Paris this year was one that, reinvigorated one. It was Mm. a really strong nostalgic experience. I was looking for a notebook press. I was buying my partner a notebook and I wanted it engraved with gold. And so I was trying to find a company that did that. And the bookstore said, Oh, this woman does that. She presses old books, rebinds books. And I went to her little atelier. It was like tiny, 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 and I walked in and she was with a customer. So I was waiting and it was filled with books and old wood shelves with every kind of letter, uh, block you can think of. And it reminded me of being in my grandpa's study as a little kid and not really supposed to be in there. So it, when he would take us in to show us things, like he had a um, an old ring um, and he had an old like gun case. He doesn't have a gun, but it was like something someone had given him as a memorabilia or something and really old books because he was a scientist. And this shop brought me back there so quickly because it not like leather and really old wood and wood floors. And to me, that just smelled like my grandpa. Mm. And so I think that was more fun than almost, I find it hard sometimes to recollect on a memory on its own. But as yeah. soon as you're back in that smell, it's like it was yesterday. Right. And that was a really cool moment for me. Mm. Were you a tactile child? Oh, yeah. 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 I would Art, imagine you were. Building things, Legos. Uh, yeah. I mm-hmm. I loved working with my hands and loved music. Very creative.
0: Mm. I'm curious on your thoughts. Um, I love tradition, but I also love thinking about the future as well. And uh, I was wondering your thoughts on... As we look toward the future and as tech continues to evolve and we advance, we continue to advance in in the metaverse, where do you see senses fitting into all of that? Because when you think of the metaverse, you might think, oh, there's no senses other than sight. But, you know, that's probably not the case. I'm just... Needing a different perspective on it.
1: Yeah, you know it's funny you say this because I'm actually working with a, a crypto brand right now, um, doing some marketing with them and learning a lot about this space. And it was very intentional because I've asked myself this same question: of we weren't allowed video games as kids. I've never played video games in my life, and now there's this world that we're buying real estate in and living in, and that's really visually cool and has no boundaries which is amazing on one hand and so innovative, but also as this very sensory grounded and the present person, I think, where are we going with this? And so that's definitely some research I've been looking into. I think what we'll see at first is a connection between physical products and NFTs and the metaverse. So you might go into a store in the metaverse and purchase something and it will be descriptive, but you'll receive that product for real at home. Mm. And maybe you'll now spray it while you're wearing your augmented reality glasses. And so you'll feel immersed in that. I think that is where there's an opportunity is to connect physical products that match what your metaverse avatar is wearing or what your avatar is experiencing in this metaverse. Mm. There could be new ways that they bring senses in. Of course, you can use, um, you know, visuals to create the feel of texture. You can use description and copy and voice to discuss what something smells like or tastes like. Um, You can have, you know, also it's scientifically proven that when you see food, you can start salivating and almost thinking that you're eating it. So maybe that'll be chefs creating some virtual menus. Mm. Um, I think it's still really new Yes, as they're still figuring out the very visual space, but I think it's somewhere they'll need to take it. And so what I see it going is that there'll be a very physical and metaverse component to a lot of products or experiences that people are investing in, in the metaverse.
0: Yeah, I I think this is kind of uh, on the... A very basic level, but um, there is this experience, and I don't know if it's still around, but I I did it a number of years ago. It was called Fly Over Canada, and you would go into this space, and it was a huge screen, and um, you would sit in the, um, I guess, chairs, and it would elevate you so that you were level with the the screen, and would take you through different places in Canada, but I do remember they had a component where we were going through a forest, and I think they actually misted pine. And so I really did feel like I was there. It was actually quite a cool experience. Um, but yeah, so maybe there is something like that
1: coming on, yeah, on, the, on the more of, regular. Those kind of like movie theater experiences, I think, have existed for a while at, you know, United Kingdom or Universal and, you know, all those yeah. cool amusement parks where you're in a movie or Jurassic Park and you can feel like the dinosaur's breath on your face, mm-hmm. but, you know, you're watching through glasses. So I wonder if as they build out more wearable augmented reality devices, will they have you know technology woven through clothes where it'll feel like someone's actually like putting their hand on your shoulder mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. your clothes connected to that? I mean, I think what we've seen is the sky's the limit. So Absolutely. I'm really curious, but mm. I think the metaverse will need that to, to grow, but also be taken a little bit more seriously as not just a video game. Mm-hmm. Or not totally disconnected from in real life, if they want it to grow to the places that they hope it will. Right, right. Hmm. What are you looking
0: most forward to um, when you think of Paris? Because you're in Toronto right now. I know you're waiting on a on your visa, but going back there, like, what's the thing that you feel like I cannot wait to do that?
1: There's a place in Paris that's always been my favorite, and it's the Musée Rodin. And in in this museum, it's actually a garden where all of his statues are around. And in the middle is the home, which used to be the, the artist residence. And whenever I, it's a sunny day, I love going there and pay the entry fee and you can bring in a coffee and I go around the back of the house and I sit on the steps and I just look out at this garden and drink my coffee and listen to French being spoken as they walk by or birds and you see the roses. It smells so great. Same thing walking through that house. It's so old. You can smell the old wood, which is one of my favorite smells ever. And so I think that's something I'm looking forward to doing again this spring is Mm. going back for a little sit on those steps with my coffee. It sounds very peaceful.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, I so appreciate your time. I just have a, a couple more questions for you. Um you were talking about a major shift in your life and I think you said 20 2019. Um and uh I I was just wondering other than finally finding yourself in Paris in the years um since this
1: the major life change in your life, um what are you most proud of? I think two things. One is approaching so much from the lens of love including the separation and divorce that my ex-husband and I went through, we really just looked at each other and said, what do you need to be happy? And let, we loved each other into this. Let's love each other out of this. Mm. And of course that's difficult, but it was really beautiful, painful nonetheless, but beautiful. And I think that taught me of how to look at so much more, um, including other people's pain, and to just throw more love at them, to really see underneath, kind of like what I do with brands is see what's actually underneath there, which is usually just someone who wants to be heard, seen and feel important in this world. That's really what we all want. And so I think that's one thing I'm really proud of, a new perspective. And the second would be resilience. Moving to a new country is not easy. Uh, Bureaucratically, even though I speak the language, it's still something I'm improving. Meeting all new friends, uh, dating again after an ended marriage—all those things were very big steps and obstacles or challenges. And I've realized how resilient I am to all of those things, and just trusting that it'll all work out, and knowing that I've got me and mm. I can rely on me, and that inner child in me can can let me take the wheel. I got her, so I think those are the two things.
0: It's beautiful. And my last question, the question that I ask every guest with what it is you do, what is it that you want to leave behind in the world?
1: I think what I would love to leave behind is a better practice or better art to go through life with. I always loved, I know it's such a cliche movie, but the end of the Titanic. And I call it like a Rose Dawson wall. And I really hope that through the work I do and the people I work with and every, all these other creatives making wonderful things in this world that we leave behind more people who have walls like that, that they did everything. They went at life full force, taking no prisoners, doing everything they ever wanted and living super richly, experiencing everything that this world and our bodies has given us. And so that at the end of the day, whatever that day is, you feel this sense that you, you lived a life well-lived and that you have no regrets and you experienced a lot, whether that's, you know, at 30 years old or a hundred. So I think that's what I hope to leave behind is more people feeling that way about their lives.
0: Oh, I really, really love that. Yeah. It's so interesting that, that you, you say, um, you know, living a, a life richly lived or well lived. Um, I have this, I, my, my website is basically a visual diary, but there is a section on there that it's, it's about me. And um, my very last paragraph, um, I say, um, at the very end of the day, like on my deathbed, I wanna be able to look back and say, yeah, I sure lived a damn good life. So I resonate yeah. a Who's lot else? with what you just said. <laughs> And uh, I'm really appreciative of this conversation. I'm really appreciating that I got the chance to connect with you. And I look so forward to more conversations with you.
1: Me as well. Thank you so much for having me, May. This was so amazing. I loved all the directions this conversation took and I love all your other guests too. I learned so much. So I hope that your listeners will take a little bit away from this and that we'll meet in B.C. soon yes. and go on a sensory journey around around the West Coast.
0: Yes. Well, I look forward to that day. Thank you so much for your
1: time. Thanks, May. Thank you so much.
0: If you enjoyed that last conversation, be sure to check out more episodes with Craft on Spotify and guest photo galleries on the website
1: at wearethecraft.com. Thanks again for listening.